Hello, my fellow Witcher lovers, and welcome to episode 46 of the Witcher chapter by chapter book review, where I'll go through a summary of the latest chapter and give my detailed thoughts on it. Today, I'm discussing chapter 11 from the Tower of Swallows, or the Tower of the Swallow, depending on which copy you have. We made it to the final chapter of this book. We've made it yet again to the end of a book in this series. And I'm kind of sad about it, but I'm also kind of excited because this is such a great chapter and I really want to get into it. So let's just do that right now. And I'll start you with a recap, followed by the summary and then followed by the discussion. The recap is going to be covering where we left off with the characters that we follow. Obviously not every character because there's too many, but the, the most important ones at least. All right, well, last time we saw Ciri, we received a wrap up on the events that took place after Boneheart forced her to fight in the arena. He viciously beat her and then brought her to Tawniel who had just captured Ryan's. The three, along with Vilgefortz, who participated via a magic radio device, negotiated what they would do with Ciri until she managed to escape on Kelpie. Later, with Vaisagoda, she decided to leave his home, kill some of Taniel's men in a nearby village on Samhain, and then search for the legendary Tower of the Swallow. Last time we left off with Yennefer, it appeared she had died sailing into the Sedna Abyss, a place where other boats, including the one series parents were on when they died, perish in unnatural ways. Everyone believes she died, but this chapter, we find out she was subjected to an even worse fate. All right, well, here's a summary of the Tower of the Swallows final chapter. While taking part in the search for Ciri, Ryans thinks back to when Vilgefortz teleported the ship Yennefer was on to his location. The ship was destroyed and the crew all died except for Yennefer, who protected herself with charms. She was welcomed by getting restrained and beaten by Ryans and the half-elf Shiru. The severe beating only stops when Vilgefortz interrupts to have her strapped down in his laboratory and tortured until she uses her connection with Siri to help him detect her location and show it on a screen. Yen endures the torture and doesn't give up Siri, but isn't strong enough not to show Geralt. At present, the party hunting Siri tracks her to the frozen lake of Tarn Mira, the location of Torzirel. They follow her tracks across the fog-covered frozen lake until the footprints disappear and they discover she's on ice skates. Since they cannot see far in front of them, they prepare for Siri to go on the attack, which she does. She starts picking them off one by one, including riots, until some of them end up in the frozen lake. She lets Taniel live and continues her search for the tower. The fog clears and Boneheart, who realized before the rest of the hunting party that Ciri laid a trap for them and took off for his horse, sees Ciri and chases her until what is probably the wild hunt gets in his way and she's able to enter the tower that magically presented itself to her. She proceeds through the tower and sees many visions, including Vaisagoda, who tells her he's dead, but he's discovered her elder blood allows her to travel through time and space. She continues on until she reaches a portal, enters, and ends up in another world where she's greeted by an elf. Some wild things that happen in this chapter. And we get some great answers too. 
And you know that I love the answers on the mysteries that get created throughout the story. So that's always uh, something you're going to see me getting excited about. All right. Well, to kick off the discussion, I'm going to back up to the beginning of the chapter as usual. I didn't include this part in the summary because it is such a small part of the chapter that it's not that it's completely insignificant, but it just kind of goes by so quickly quickly that I figured I could just leave it out of the summary and talk about the details of it here. But the chapter starts off at the temple school that Siri attended, where Nenica, Triss, and Yara are seeing off two novices who are setting out to be healers in the war. Yara is upset with Nenica for letting the girls go to war, but not allowing him, a young man, to go fight in the war. And she doesn't really explain why. She kind of says something about boys becoming arrow fodder, but she says the novices can go because they've been training to be healers their whole lives. Plus, there'll be more than enough work for healers in the war, and sending them is the temple's contribution to society. Well, Yara, he isn't really accepting of her reasoning and says he wants to rescue Siri. And that's super sweet. You gotta like Yara. But uh, Nenika responds by kind of mocking him. And she says something like, the knight errant wants to rescue Siri, wants to rescue his sweetheart. I found this to be a bit out of character <laughs> for Nenika. I mean, we've seen her in like a battle of wits a time or two. We've seen her, you know, displaying like her intelligence and you know all that stuff but I never thought she'd stoop as low or so low as to mock a teenager but she did so that's that and she only stops doing it when Triss shoots a look at her well once they're done talking to Yara uh, Nenica and Triss join Aeola the first which I believe is the same priestess that Geralt was sleeping with in the uh, or I guess maybe slept with at one time who knows um, but was involved with for that short time in the last wish book. Um, so they join her as she's about to enter this trance to look for Siri. She's got some items that Siri used when she was at the temple. And uh, at the last minute, Triss says she wants to enter the trance too, since she owes it to Siri for risking her life to save Triss's in Kedwin. But Nanika advises against this because she thinks that she might be able to see things that she shouldn't. And in this moment, Triss thinks about the battle on Sodden Hill, where she quote-unquote died and was buried. So this memory still haunts her, which is super crappy. She's still living with this all this time later. Probably means she'll never fully get over it, and that's too bad. But I was honestly wondering if Triss... I do believe that Triss cares about Siri. I think that she does love Siri like a sister, as she says. But... Is she also trying to figure out where Siri is to help the Lodge? See, I don't know if I can trust her when it comes to that stuff. Because as we saw two chapters back, she communicated via Megascope with Yennefer and she secretly had Philippa in the room with her, which was quickly revealed. Yennefer knew what was going on pretty quickly. But I think Triss did a pretty good job during that conversation of demonstrating her loyalty to the Lodge, her fear of Philippa's disapproval, and I think that if Triss was interested in finding Siri for the Lodge, in addition to caring about her, I wouldn't be shocked. I think that that could be a part of it. So when this happened, I felt a little bit sketchy 
I felt or felt a little bit sketched out that Triss might be actually working in the interest of the lodge rather than wanting to protect this girl that she thinks of as a sister. Well, that was a very brief chapter section, so we'll now move on to the present day at the Frozen Lake. So it starts off with Siri asking a local there for directions. Not too much to say about that. And then it transitions to Ryan's perspective. So he's trying to communicate with Vilgefortz through the Xenogloss. It's like the walkie-talkie radio device kind of thing. But he can't contact him, and he hasn't been able to for days. So others have their theories on why he can't uh, make contact with Vilgefortz. Like, he's basically just showing all of them what he thinks of them. But it turns out, as we discovered toward the end of the chapter, that Vilgefortz was trying to communicate with Ryan's, and he couldn't get through. So the device was just malfunctioning. And it's kind of funny <laughs> that Ryan's was feeling distressed about Vilgefortz ignoring him. And uh, he never got to learn the truth that he was just unable to make communication. I, I enjoy a lot of these little moments throughout the chapter. And some big moments, too. I, you'll see. I, <laughs> I enjoy these bad things happening to these bad characters. But let's talk about Yennefer. So I, I just mentioned that we were going, going to return to the present day, but we're actually going to go right into a flashback. Well, I was relieved to get an update on her so quickly since the last one. We usually go a lot longer without learning anything about her fate, so it was nice to have that in this chapter. Unfortunately, though, the information we learn is very unpleasant. Vilgefort somehow had the ship she was on teleported to his location, he seems to have the ability to do this with any ships that sail through the Sedna Abyss. And she was the only survivor since she protected herself with charms. So all of those other men that volunteered to go with her, yeah, they all died, which is really sad. So she lands there, she comes to, and she almost immediately starts getting beaten by Bryant and Shiru. And just in case, uh, maybe you haven't read the book in a while, or um, maybe you haven't read it at all, Shiru is still alive here we were there to witness him get killed like we were there seeing it from Geralt's perspective he's still alive here because this is flashing back to before all the stuff that happened in Tucson took place so this beating of Yennefer is described pretty brutally it's said she was beaten hard cruelly with blows that are not meant to hurt but meant to fracture so it doesn't take too long before we realize she's landed herself in a bad situation well, the beating is only interrupted by Vilgeforce because he wants her alive, because they easily could have beaten her to death, and he wants her capable of speaking. So they take her to his lab, they strap her to the steel chair where her wrists, ankles, and her head are restrained. And while he's setting up this whole contraption, he does a lot of talking. First, he talks about his face, because he's originally wearing a mask that covers half of his face when he greets Yennefer, but then he removes it to reveal mutilated skin and a missing eye replaced with a crystal in the socket, which is secured by these fastenings and clasps. So he, he's looking pretty bad, and it looks so grotesque that Yennefer even gasps upon seeing it. And if Yennefer is surprised, I think that that must mean that it looks really, really bad, because I think Yennefer's she's old enough and she's seen some shit, and she probably doesn't get surprised too easily. And she we, we don't really ever see her show emotions like that that much. So yeah, I can only imagine Vilgefort's looking pretty, pretty hard to look upon, which I think it sounds kind of mean, but it's Vilgefort, so... I don't feel bad about saying it. Uh, this um, this happened to him 
when the portal in the Tower of Gulls exploded while he was chasing Ciri in there. He feels, and he explains this himself, that he feels irrational anger toward Ciri about this, and he vowed that if he catches her, he'll have Ryan's pluck out one of her eyes. So we have yet another reason to hope she never falls into his hands. And he also explains that he had received um, bad burns on his face and his neck and chest. And I definitely did not feel sympathy for him. So then he brings up a lot of questions that the reader would love answers to, like how he learned about the Elder Blood, how Siri got it, what he plans to do with it, how the Sedna Abyss Maelstrom works. And then he quickly disappoints by not answering any of these questions. I remember feeling excited to get some answers. I'm like, oh my God, he's going to explain all these things that I've been wondering about for, I mean, some of them not too long, but some things I've been wondering about for a while. And then uh, I got let down really fast. So he actually just gave me another reason to hate him. He just trolled the reader by acting like he was going to provide these answers and then not giving them. So that was that. But finally, he explains that Yennefer needs to quote-unquote scan or basically just think about Siri while she's hooked up to his scanning device. And Siri will be presented on the screen he has in the room. I guess it's kind of connected to the device. Of course, Yennefer isn't going to hand over Siri to him, but the problem is that the device is causing her extreme pain. And she holds out which is super impressive and heartwarming that she'd suffer extreme torture to protect Siri. But then he has Ryan said an additional form of torture by tightening screws somehow over her fingers and hands. So she ends up giving out, but she does not give up Siri. She gives up Geralt. And now we know how Geralt was tracked by Shiru. And uh, I think we've kind of known that for a while because it was as Geralt thought, like Yennefer showed Vilgefortz, but she didn't offer this up to him the way that Geralt believed she did, of course. So he thought that she was a traitor and betrayed him. If only he knew the truth. I mean, he wanted vengeance for Ciri. If he knew these people harmed Ciri and Yen, I don't think he'd ever stop until he got his revenge. And his revenge, I can imagine, would be very cruel. Well, I feel very sorry for Yennefer here. And personally, I don't blame her for giving up Geralt. Obviously, it's not ideal, but most people probably wouldn't have been able to hold out long enough to not even show Ciri. So I think she did her best, and her best was better than average. Well, on that same note, Vilgefort says to Ryans and Shiru that he'd hoped they would show the same fortitude if they were captured and interrogated by his enemies, but he doubts that they would. From here, he sends them on their missions where Shiru volunteered to tail Geralt and Ryans was sent to negotiate with Vatir Dorito. Uh, there's actually this really funny moment when we go back to the present day and Ryans is thinking about how he's, he's very bitter and resentful about his mission right now because they're in the extreme cold chasing Siri. She hasn't turned up in a while and he's envious of Shiru who got to go after Geralt and he thinks <laughs> he thinks Shiru is probably nice and warm right now. Well in case you forgot Shiru was burned alive. Normally that wouldn't be funny if Shiru wasn't a terrible person. So we know what happened to Yennefer but we still don't know where she is present day or if she even survived the torture. 
All that is really said is Vilgefortz glanced at the torpid body being dragged across the floor toward the stairs to the cellar. So it sounds like she's dead, but also I don't know if they take a dead body to a cellar, but I mean, it's Vilgefortz, so who knows? Here we go again, not knowing Yennefer's fate. And you know what? Let's just go with she's alive. We've been led to believe she's died too many times just to find out she didn't die. So we'll assume she's alive until we are explicitly told otherwise. That's what I'm going to do at least. And there's actually a couple other little hints throughout the rest of the chapter that would make it seem like she's alive, but still we don't know. But let's leave it at that for now. So the hunt for Siri across the ice. Uh, we're, we've basically covered the whole section on Yennefer and we're going to return to the present day. Although <laughs> we're going to return to the present day and then we're going to go to another flashback, but this flashback's super brief and then we'll come back to the present day for good. So it's just a quick update on Joanna Selborne or Kenna. She and three others from Skeleton's Hansa decide that they're going to abandon the hunt for Siri because the mission they're on is very risky. Almost everybody had dreamed about their own death the night before, and she's also afraid of being incriminated for following Skellen at all. She's really started to pick up on the fact that he's not doing what the Emperor wants. He's doing what he wants. He's acting in his own interest. So I think that she's afraid of dying, and she's afraid of also being executed. I think she kind of knows that she's definitely at risk of being executed at this point. Like She's in way too deep. But it's still enough reason for her to take off. And he doesn't take kindly to this abandonment, but he moves on without them anyway. And uh, then we quickly flash back once more to Joanna's trial, which takes place a year in the future. Okay, so it's not a flashback, it's a flash forward. <laughs> so we flash forward to the future. And this is where Joanna finishes telling her story to the judges. And she decides she's just going to go for it and use her psionic powers to have the judge order her set free. And this is something she could have done from the beginning, but they have measures in place to make it so that anybody that's got powers like this cannot do what she does. But somehow she's able to get away with it at the end here. And this isn't really a big revelation in and of itself, but one small detail that's actually kind of easy to miss here is she's thinking to herself, well, you might not miss it, but you might really not be that surprised by it, I guess, until you really think about it, which at least that's how it was for me. She thinks to herself, Tawny Owl is likely to take revenge even from the grave. That's all that's said about him dying. But at this point, we might expect that Skellen dies during this hunt for Siri, especially because he had just dreamed of his own death the night before. But by the end of the chapter, we learn he's one of the few that actually survived. I think he was one of two. So she basically just spoiled a future plot point for us, but we still don't know any of the circumstances of his death, just that it happened sometime between the end of this chapter and one year into the future. And his death might not even be that exciting. Maybe it would be, I don't know. We gotta wait until we get to that point though. Well, back to the hunt, back to present day. The group tracks series footprints on the frozen lake so they dismount from their horses since the ice isn't thick enough and they proceed after her on foot. And there's this very dense fog so they can't see far in front of them, but they're not really too concerned about that at first. They're mostly just pretty excited to catch her because they can tell that she's not that far away. 
and they're you know in a good mood they think that this is going to happen soon until someone brings up how she massacred those men on Samhain and they all get spooked that she's going to strike as if from nowhere and Boneheart even gets spooked because he can sense the trap that she's laid for them and he takes off saying he's going back for his horse not long after this they discover that Ciri's footprints are gone and they've been replaced with the tracks of skates. So Skellen points out that she'll be the one doing the hunting and that's why Boneheart left. Then she starts to pick them off one by one. She's even psychologically tormenting them since they can't see when she's coming and they can only hear the grating of the ice from her skates right before she shows up and kills one of them and then she quickly disappears again. This moment, this whole scene was so enjoyable, witnessing these terrible people terrified of her. It was well deserved. Well, in an effort to stop her, Ryan's uses magic to break the ice, hoping it would trip her up but the ice breaks in the wrong direction and the rest of them that are still alive and even the dead bodies too, uh, they fall into the water. Well, Ryan's is struggling to pull himself out when Siri presents herself to him. She starts, he starts begging. Uh, he's asking her to help him. And he says that if she does, he'll tell her where Yennefer is, which is kind of another reason I think she's alive, but Ryan's is a pretty unreliable source of information, especially in this moment when he's about to die. Well, either way, Siri does not accept the offer and instead skates over his fingers and cuts them off. So he falls into the water, can't hold on anymore to the ice. Like falls completely into the water, I mean. So Ryan's is now dead. I'll tell you, it's about time some of the villains in the story start to get some comeuppance. Well, after he dies, his Xenogloss actually starts working again. Vilgefortz is coming through and he's saying things like, why haven't you answered me for two days and don't let Siri enter the tower? Well, she lets Toniel and one of the others live and then she sets out to find the tower. But Boneheart is still trying to figure out a way to get Siri. And when he's actually really nearby, the fog disperses and he goes after her. So he's chasing her and he sees the location where the tower should be. And it's just a hill with some boulders on it. And he thinks he's won. But then what is probably the wild hunt, it's at least described the way the wild hunt is usually described. Uh, they show up and they are telling Boneheart that she's theirs. Like they, she belongs to him, not, or I'm sorry, she belongs to them and not him, uh, which is probably not good, but it gives her more time as Boneheart. He's not even afraid. He, he's going to just keep going through, but his horse gets scared and it freaks out. And then he falls into the ice. Unfortunately, he does pull himself out, so Boneheart did not die in this chapter. So that's too bad. Well, <laughs> while this is occurring, the hill with the boulders turns into the Tower of the Swallow, and Siri enters. Well, after she goes in, the appearance from the outside returns to its natural form, so Boneheart realizes he can't go after her. And he is super pissed. He's screaming savagely and basically throwing a hardcore temper tantrum. The frustration over not being able to kill someone who never even did anything to you is absolutely crazy. But he's crazy. 
Oh, that's it for Boneheart in this chapter. I'm happy to move on and hopefully not talk about him again for a while or ever would be more preferable. So Siri goes into the tower and it's reminding her a bit of Kaer Morin. She continues to move through and she's in a hall with a lot of doors that open silently on their own. Just like in the vision she experienced with Yen at the end of Blood of Elves and that Yen experience when she was in Skellige. She starts to see these visions of people like the novices from the beginning of the chapter who set out from the temple and she sees them as they're traveling through the snow. And we know that it was snowing when they were traveling because uh, Triss was thinking about how a blizzard was about to start. And then she also sees the witchers that she spent time with at Kaer Morin, like Vesemir, Eskel, Lambert, Cohen. Uh, she sees more people, but I'm not going to go through all of them. But I will point out the interesting visions that she sees, such as Yennefer, who is in this vision disheveled in chains in a dungeon and her hands are a single mass of clotted blood. I think she's seeing Yennefer as she is now. So that gives us yet another reason to think she's alive and just being held prisoner by Vilgefortz, which like I was saying about the tortures, probably worse than being dead. But Siri, but Siri also sees Geralt and a woman described exactly like Fringilla Vigo in a, we'll just say, romantically intimate embrace and Yen also had a similar vision in Skellige and I talked about the possibilities there in that chapter which was chapter nine so check out that episode if you missed it and if you would like to hear my theories but now that it's come up twice in visions for two different people I think we can assume Geralt gets involved with Fringilla in Tucson but we don't know because we last left off with him as he was about to enter, uh, well, what, what we think at least he was about to enter uh, Beauclair Castle. So we don't know if that happens for sure, but I'd be very surprised if it doesn't. But the last thing Siri sees is Visigoda. This is actually kind of a nice moment. She figures out that he's dead, which is, you know, kind of sad for her. We already knew, but this is a, this is news for her. But he's just kind of like, never mind that. Like, I've got this important information for you. And they have this super quick conversation. She proudly tells him that she held back from vengeance by not killing Tawny Al, even though he disfigured her. And I think that that was really nice that she told him that because they had this long argument the last time or one of the last times that they were together at his home uh, that he was basically trying to tell her that revenge isn't good. It's not going to help you deal with your problems. You shouldn't do that. And she was very indignant saying like, nope, I want to get revenge on these people and I want to kill the evil. And so I, I thought that was pretty nice that she told him that. And I thought it was a little, it was kind of cute, but we also get a big revelation out of him here. And it's the reason why she couldn't account for those missing four days between receiving the face wound and ending up near his place. And the reason for that is the elder blood gives her power over time and space, and she is now what he calls the master of worlds. So she unknowingly teleported through time when she was fleeing her pursuers that day and um, ended up near his home. So that's really big news. Uh, <laughs> it's not really like a huge shock considering a lot of the things that we know about Siri, but Still, that's that's an impressive power to have. And I do have some specific thoughts about this. So Carol, 
thought that Ciri died during the equinox, but what he sensed, as we now know, was caused by her moving through time and perhaps space. I'm not too sure about the space thing just because, I mean, I'm guessing that she teleported from her location fleeing the pursuers to the Paraplot Marshes, since those marshes are very inaccessible by anyone. But either way, uh, we got answers on that mystery that Geralt had created for us a while back. So yeah, he thought that she was dead. We knew she wasn't, but it was peculiar that he would think that, that he sensed it. And now we know it's because she was actually just not available to be sensed to be dreamt about when he's been, when he's been having these prophetic dreams about her. Uh, also, she obviously does not know how to control this. It, I'm wondering if this is something that she can control and harness and use to her advantage. If so, does she need to learn how to do that? Uh, we don't get any answers on that. And uh, we already know from the brief things we heard about the conjunction of spheres that there are worlds apart from this one that they're all living in. So I'm guessing she can get to those worlds if she can learn how to use those powers. Another thing that's not answered, so we'll just have to wait and see if that does that information does become available in a future chapter. So as they're finishing up their quick conversation, Visigoda tells Siri not to allow criminals or rogues to take her power and use it to their own ends. She tells him that she won't, and they say goodbye. Then she steps through the portal and ends up in another world that sounds quite beautiful, where an elf playing a flute greets her. And he says to her, what took you so long? What kept you? And that's the end of the Tower of the Swallow. Huh. It's very interesting. I loved in this chapter. These are my closing thoughts now, by the way. <laughs> I loved the answers that we got in this chapter. Can't stand it when we go too long without getting any answers, but I do love that that happened. I also loved how things worked out quite unfavorably for those bad people that were hunting her. I do wish though that Boneheart had a worse experience. He definitely didn't have a good one. Falling into ice in a frozen lake has got to suck really bad, but I'm glad at least Ryan's died. Uh, the whole scene on the ice, it was so entertaining how one teenage girl could terrify a group of men. And of course this wouldn't have been entertaining if the people being terrorized were characters that we liked and we're getting terrorized by a villain, but since they were so bad, I enjoyed it. All right, looking ahead. In the next book, I'm obviously very curious to see what Siri does in the world that she teleported to. I'm also curious to see if she plans to stay there long or permanently. And I could understand if she never wanted to leave since she has so many enemies in the world she came from, but I do want to see her reunited with Geralt and Yennefer again. So it's kind of conflicting. I'm also interested in seeing how Geralt gets involved with Fringilla, like how that gets started up. Although Geralt has never seemed to have trouble getting romantically familiar with women, so it might not be that fa that fascinating of a discovery. I think he could probably just look at her and say, hey, what's up? And then the next thing you know, they're in bed together. Well, based on a lot of context clues from this chapter and the patterns through so much of the story, I'm just going to assume that Yennefer's alive and hope that she is freed or rescued somehow from being Vilgefortz's prisoner. Because that's definitely a situation you don't want to be in. 
And also with Vilgefortz, I wonder what his next move is going to be. He couldn't get Yennefer to reveal Ciri's location, and I doubt he can get her to reveal that now. Like if his torture methods worked enough, I don't think he'd be able to see her while she's in another world. Hopefully not at least, because he does know she was heading for the tower, and he clearly knows the tower allows her to teleport, so he's he's probably aware of the fact that she left that world. But I doubt he'd be able to get to her when she's there. Also, uh, thinking about what his next move will be, both of his two top minions, Ryan and Shiru, they're both now dead, so he doesn't have their help anymore. Not that they seem to be much help in the first place. And I'd also like to think that um, with all of these roadblocks and failures that he's been experiencing, he'd be discouraged and give up on his search for Siri, but that doesn't sound like his style. He's not a good man, but he definitely is very persistent, very intelligent. He's scary. He's a scary guy because he is capable of a lot of things and his intentions are pure evil. But yeah, I don't think he's going to be that successful for a while. Things are not working out for him right now. It's nice to end an episode talking about the misfortunes of antagonists rather than exclusively talking about the misfortunes of our beloved characters. It just seems to usually go that way, so this is a nice switch up. All right, well, I do want to point out, I have talked about this before, but it's been a while, at least 11 weeks, 12 weeks since I last said anything about this. If you are listening to this episode between now and two weeks from the time that this is uploaded, uh, don't expect to see another episode for at least two weeks. Well, for two weeks from the time that this was uploaded, uh, because in between books, I uh, do take a week off. Although I really will not be taking a week off from working on the podcast. I'm just trying to get more caught up so that I can uh, rely on an extra episode in case something delays me. Something happens. You know how it goes in life. You never know what's going to happen. All right. That's all I have for you. Just to let you know, in case you didn't, these episodes are available on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcast. Thank you so much for joining, and I will catch you all in the next episode. Lady of the Lake! <laughs>